are listening to Footprints on Our Hearts, a podcast about baby loss, legacy, and learning to live again with me, Alison Ingleby. The baby loss community is one that no one wants to join, but together we can break the silence around baby loss and help each other navigate the rocky road that is grief, because all children leave footprints on our hearts. Good morning and welcome to episode 54 of Footprints on Our Hearts. How are you doing today? I hope today is a good day for you and whenever you're listening to this, whether it's uh, the end of the week or the weekend or the start of a new week, um, that you've got something to look forward to ahead on the horizon. I am actually recording this a little bit early this week um, to give my editor Izzy a bit more time to put the podcast uh, together and this today is, well, I was going to say it's the first day I've taken off work, completely off work for a very long time, but obviously I'm recording this uh, intro and it kind of counts as work. So obviously I haven't totally taken the full day off work. Um, something I seem to be incapable of. I seem to have a lot on at the moment with a book launch this week and various other things kind of going on. But I have been feeling like it has been getting a bit too overwhelming and a bit too much, um, given that my sort of full-time uh, role, uh, involved job in inverted commas, is um, parenting my son Rowan. Um, so yeah, things have definitely been been getting a little bit overwhelming recently, but um, it was lovely to take some time off this morning to go for a walk somewhere which was still classed as local but was not actually walking straight from my front door um so we are very lucky in that we've got some beautiful paths that we can walk to straight from the front door but um when you've walked them pretty much every single day for the past year (laughs) um even that can get you know you you fancy a bit of a, a change of scene and i also did something this morning which um again i haven't done for gosh, probably about a year, I put on some makeup. Now, I am not really a makeup person and certainly I don't think I've put on any at all since Rowan was born, simply because I just have not had the time to, or or the occasion to, you know, to sit there for five minutes and, and dig through my makeup supplies, which I have to say after, you know, having not bought makeup for a very long time they're kind of all getting a bit dried up and <laughs> probably not that great but you know it pretty oh it did make me feel a little bit a little bit better I think and a little bit um a little bit more like the old me perhaps so that was fun and we went out for a little bit of a walk and my husband um was doing some cycling training for his challenge so Ro and I went for a walk and we stopped by a cafe a hole in the wall cafe got a hot chocolate which was a bit of a treat so yeah basically today has felt like a bit of a treat day (laughs) which is really nice and I think that's um you know what we need to do at the moment to to get through these final days of lockdown and isolation is is treat ourselves occasionally and yeah take some time off work so please do remind me of that (laughs) frequently um because I'm too apt to forgetting Anyway, in today's podcast, I am talking to Sarah Chapman about her daughters, Eliza and Liberty. Um, And her first daughter, Eliza, was stillborn a few years ago. And um, 
as you'll realise when you hear her talking, Sarah is American and her family live in the States, which obviously had a bit of a, an, an impact on her grief and that kind of isolation she felt afterwards. And even more tragically, Sarah's mother-in-law also passed away just a couple of weeks after Eliza's death. So, you know, Sarah and her husband were, were hit with that double whammy, which is, you know, completely overwhelming. Um, Sarah has done so much to talk about Eliza and threw herself into fundraising. Um, so we talk a bit about that. And also the fact that um, when she tried to get pregnant again, she couldn't. And, and they couple ended up going through IVF to get pregnant with Liberty. And Liberty was born uh, just a few months ago um, in November 2020. Um, so we also talk a little bit about pregnancy after loss and parenting after loss. Um, so I had a really lovely time chatting to Sarah and I hope you enjoy this interview. So take care. I hope you have a good week and look after yourself. Today, I'm joined on the podcast by Sarah, whose first daughter, Eliza, was stillborn in 2018. And she recently welcomed her second daughter, Liberty, into the world. And today, we're going to talk about both her children and the challenges she faced getting pregnant with Liberty. Welcome to the podcast, Sarah. Thank you so much for coming on and joining me today. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here and just have a little chat. Yeah. Well, let's get straight into talking about Eliza. When did you decide you wanted to try for children and how was your journey to getting pregnant with her? Um, so Liam and I met each other when we were 24 and um, we just were enjoying life traveling and going out to eat and spending time with friends. And then we um, got married when we were 30. So we dated for quite a while. Um, and then we bought our first house and then we were like, oh, well, well, um, that whole phrase, we'll try but not try type of thing. Mm -hmm. So we bought an older house that needed doing up and we thought, oh, we'll start trying for a baby. But, you know, most of our friends, it was taking around a year to fall pregnant. So hopefully we'll have this house together and then we might fall pregnant and didn't really think much into it other than that. And we fell pregnant within two months and it was a real surprise, a real shock. So we did have to spend months like getting the house ready, at least baby ready. <laughs> um, <laughs> felt like we bit off a bit too much to chew but oh well you never know sometimes you know sometimes it's good to get it all out the way um at the same time and how did your pregnancy go with her um, my pregnancy was really good I had loads of energy um everyone said I looked really well was had that whole glowing pregnancy I'm a school teacher so even I worked up um to 37 weeks and I had spent the last few weeks at school teaching guided reading sat on the carpet with the children like I just felt really good, really excited. Um, we had popped in a couple of times just to get a check for reassurance, but there wasn't any issues along the way. It was a really smooth pregnancy. And um, I even had a midwife say throughout the pregnancy, like, this is almost textbook perfect. Like, it's so good. That curse of the textbook pregnancy, isn't it? I know, I know. And at the time you're like, oh, wonderful, thanks. Yeah. yeah. 
So when did you find out that something was wrong? I had had lots of Braxton Hicks on the Friday before she was born. And it was the first time I'd ever experienced them. So I was really consumed with those and like really excited. I had been out shopping with my cousin and even grabbed her hand and was like, feel, this means the baby's coming soon. These are like fake contractions. And went to bed that Friday night and woke up at 2.15 in the morning in labor. So I was like, oh, this is it. It's happening. I did the whole thing, like trying to stay at home as long as I could. I had a bath. Liam came down. He's my husband. And um, he came down and he was timing the contractions on a nap. And it was all very exciting. And I called the hospital to say that my contractions were really close together. And I only live about five minutes away from the hospital. So they were like, okay, well, we'll just keep you at home as long as we can because you live so close. But just before you go, when was the last time you felt baby move? And I honestly hadn't thought about that question before the midwife asked me. And I couldn't recall when I had actually felt the baby move. I could remember feeling Braxton Hicks like I had experienced um, the day before, but I couldn't remember the baby kicking. Um, And I say baby because we didn't know what we were having at that point. So she said, okay, not a problem. Like leave your hospital bag at home, but just pop up and get checked. And I'm sure we'll like send you back home. And I'm sure you'll have the baby in the next couple of days and you'll come back. So we um, drove to the hospital and you you just remember everything so vividly when you experience such Mm -hmm. trauma, which I'm sure you can understand and relate to. And, you know, it's like 4.30 in the morning and everything's super, super dark. It's February. Um, The streets are silent. There's like the glowing yellowy lights. And we got to the hospital again, still so excited. Spoke to the midwife and she's like, oh, I'm just going to use this Doppler on you and check for the heartbeat. And it was silent and I didn't twig. She checked with two machines. I think kind of that whole classic thing many of us have heard before, like, oh, I don't know if this one's working. I'll just check another machine. And again, silent. She said, oh, I'll get a consultant to come and scan you just to double check, like to make sure the baby's okay. And I didn't even twig at that point. Like I remember looking at Liam and he looked at me and we just smiled, reassuring at each other, but neither one of us had twigged that something was wrong. And you couldn't even hear the placenta or anything. Like actually it was silent. So they went and got a consultant and she came to scan us and she was really lovely. Like she said, I'm going to have a really good look at the baby. So do not worry if I don't speak to you right away, which I appreciated. I think that's a really like nice way to ask and to inform the parents. And she had a look and I wouldn't look at the screen and I was looking at the doctor and then she did pause quite quickly and she just had the saddest but kind of size. And she said, I'm really sorry, but your baby doesn't have a heartbeat anymore. Your baby's died. And I went into complete shock and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, we know that happens. It's okay. We know that happens to people. Like I couldn't even, I don't think grasp the enormity of the whole situation. I was just kind of reassuring the consultant and three other midwives were in the room with us. I didn't even clock until after that the original midwife was with us, but two others had joined obviously for support for us. And yeah, so just reassuring them that everything was okay. And then they left us for a couple of minutes and said they'd come back in to give us a few minutes and we just like burst into tears and we called our family right away as well. I guess we just felt like it was something we needed to share with them. And I'm originally from the States, although my mom is English. She lives in the States and my dad and my stepdad and my sisters. So we called our just our parents and our siblings. And of course, everyone in, well, both sides of the family, to be fair, because when you're calling at, you know, quarter to five in the morning, they know some like and the babies do any minute. She was um, five days overdue when we had her. 
So she was 40 plus five. And um, they're like, oh, is it a boy or a girl? Or the next one's going, oh, Sarah had the baby. I remember that was like one of Liam's family's responses. And we just were like, the baby died. And that's what we said. And like, what, what, what do you mean? What? You know, no one anticipated this. No one saw this coming. So it was really hard. We kind of had really short conversations and then they came back in and I asked to go home. I wanted to go home, which I don't know if that's normal or not. And I guess because you were in labor at this point. So Mm -hmm. did they talk to you about what was going to happen? Yeah, I remember asking if I could have a cesarean where before this I was that total, I'm going to have a water birth and I did hypnobirthing and da da da. And like you find out your baby dies and I'm like, can I have a cesarean? Can I have one now? Like get this baby out. Um, And they advised me to not have a cesarean, that it would be better for me and the baby if I birthed naturally wanted to go home and again like you said I was in labor I was like three to four centimeters dilated so they said you can go home but you need to come back by 11 a.m I needed to be scanned again to verify they needed two doctor signatures to verify the baby had died so I was just thankful to go home and I actually when I think about it you know we got home probably just after 5 a.m and we went back around 10 or half 10 I don't even know what we did for all those hours. I think I just sat on the couch, like having contractions and crying. Like it was just, mm-hmm. it's all a blur now. They did speak to me and saying, yes, you need to, we'd like you to deliver naturally. You need to come back at this time. But beyond that, I didn't really, I don't remember being told anything else. I don't, maybe I didn't comprehend it. I'm not sure. Yeah. And I, and I guess, because for a lot of people and, and what was the situation for me was, you know, you find out your baby's died and then you have to come back in a couple of days later because your body isn't prepared for that. You know, your body needs to prepare to give birth, um, which wasn't the situation for you. So I, I wonder if, you know, they might have that whole sort of piece about what happens, blah, 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 kind of sort of skip that because it's it's quite obvious what what's going to happen with you. And because Eliza was your first child and, yeah. you know, labour is such an, an unknown thing. You don't know how it's going to feel, how much pain you're going to be in, how things are going to go. Had you done much mental preparation for her birth during your pregnancy and, and did finding out that she died change your birth plan at all and how you were able to cope with your labor both physically and mentally yeah that's a really good question I listened to a free hypnobirthing track um, and I would fall asleep to it so that's really the only um kind of meditation that I use leading up to um, Eliza's birth. But I do think that really impacted me. Like when I, I tell people this quite a lot, when I look back on everything, I was quite calm during the whole birth and um, it went smoothly. I had her within 12 hours from my first contraction at 2.15. We had her just over 12 hours. She was born at 2.33 in the afternoon and everything went fine. It was a really easy pregnancy. And I had my time to talk with a midwife from her hospital just the other week and they said actually from the time I was dilated to when I had her was very very quick and smooth so that's really like nice to know I guess in the situations dire anyway but at least that went smoothly my whole mentality when I was pregnant with um, Eliza was just thousands of women hundreds of thousands of women have had babies before I will get through it however it happens I'll get through it and I don't know whether that with me and then also the combination of um like the hypnobirthing tracks 
and the breathing that you practice, whether that just came out, I really don't know, but it did go well and it went and it was very smooth. Mm -hmm. And how did you feel about meeting Eliza after she was born? Oh, they said, oh, do you want skin to skin? And I just was like, no. And then I said, I did if my baby was alive. And, you know, afterwards, Liam and I have had several conversations about that response. And he said, at the time, that was right for you. Because I felt really guilty. Then after meeting her and falling head over heels in love with her, um, you think, oh, I should have held her right away. But I was absolutely frightened to the point that when we were ready to meet her, I said to Liam, will you hold her first? Because I'm too scared. I just, I had never met anyone that had had a stillborn baby I didn't know what the, what she would look like. You know, I think you hear that quite often. You don't know what to expect. And so you are frightened to look at your baby initially. So I opted for the cup of tea and to be sorted out myself. I had like a tiny tear, so I had to like be sewn up and stuff. But they kept her in the room with us. Like they took her out and they like wiped her and wrapped her really gently. I could see that from the corner of my eye. This is like this weird thing where you're like not looking, but kind of looking. You want to look, but you're not. Oh, and um, she was in a clear cot, like a standard cot from a hospital tucked in the corner of the room. So like quite close to us still. And when they left us and they said, oh, just ring the buzzer when you're ready to hold her and we'll come in and like pass her to you, which was really nice. We were looking at her and you could see the back, like the side and the back of her head. And I said, oh, she's really dark hair. Like, so we then were warming up to everything but yeah, I didn't respond very well initially. Like I just was too scared. I don't think, and I, I, I guess I had a similar feeling and I don't think that's anything. I think that's perfectly normal. I, I think it's something that it's really hard not to feel ashamed about um, because it's like you're, they're your child. You, you know, of course you want to hold them, but, but actually, and particularly, you know, you had not had any time whatsoever to process what was happening I mean you know I had a day of googling what, what you know about stillborn babies and what was going to happen blah 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 and I found it really I mean that was one of the hardest parts of my experience was actually was seeing Sky after she was born mm-hmm. and it's still something that I find kind of really hard to to talk about and to to think about in in many ways because I think you have this vision in your head of how your birth is going to be and what your baby is going to be like and then that's kind of taken away from you in you know in some sense when when they're actually born um so yeah it's I think it's it's a really hard thing it's a really hard thing to not beat yourself up about it but I think it's one of those things you have to try and forgive yourself about don't you to kind of move on yeah we use that phrase a lot like we always um what Liam had shared with me and just saying at the time that wasn't right for you and like we use that a lot in reflection with Eliza and so that does give me a lot of peace because I'm very different than how I was you know three seconds after she was born an hour after she was born and our story tells that we like have changed you know yeah of course and you know you've just been through labor and however easy Mm. your labor was you've still been through labor and you've been up since the early hours of the morning yeah exactly you know yeah it's still tiring yeah yeah and yeah I know I remember I was was just like yeah I just needed that cup of tea (laughs) give me some sugar so I wanted to move on to talk a bit about um, about your grief and obviously because it was so sudden you, you hadn't really had any time to sort of process this and once you so once you met Liza did you spend a bit of time in hospital with her? 
Yeah, we did. Um, we were really lucky. All the hospital staff that we met were absolutely lovely. Um, so we, I had her in a delivery suite and then our hospital at the time didn't have a bereavement suite. And so we went on to a midwifery led unit called the Water Lily. And on the Water Lily, there's three rooms. And one of those rooms doesn't have a pool, but it has like a pull out couch that can turn into a bed and has its own bathroom attached to it and kind of like a little kitchenette. So they would put bereaved families in there if it wasn't being used. Um, so we feel lucky that we had a, like a fairly safe space to go to. It looked like a little mini apartment and we were allowed um, family and friends to come to see her. And um, so we went into there. Right now, our bereavement suite is in the middle of being created. The money's now been funded. So that's really, really good. And I'm really thankful because whilst we were in um, the bereavements or what the makeshift bereavement suite, the water lily, um, there was someone having a baby. So, you know, we lost our baby. We delivered her and we they couldn't help it. We were in a room that you could hear the other baby being born or not being born, sorry, but like the laboring of the mother. And I think eventually they did move into um, delivery suite for whatever reasons. So we didn't hear the baby being born, but we heard the labor, I should say. Um, and that was enough. And you just wanted to know that baby's okay. So we had, but initially, like I said earlier, I was scared to see her, but when I met her, I fell in love with her and like your heart just burst and but you're in this really weird situation where you're kind of in and out of reality and you're just like, is this real? Oh my gosh. And then you're loving her, but then you're realizing she's dead and it's just crazy. So they handed us a leaflet and said, um, you need to let us know if you want this lady to come because she'll come in and do prints and take photographs and stuff. And it was a leaflet that had like ceramic handprints and things all around it. And I remember being in delivery suite and saying to Liam, that's it, we'll get three tiles with her feet and her hands on them. And that's it, one for the grandparents, one for us. And that's it, we're not getting anything else. Like I couldn't even, it said child photography. And I was just like, who takes pictures of dead babies? But then the lady came, Teresa from Teresa's Tiny Treasures. So we do feel really lucky because she's um, a bereavement charity who makes memorabilia and she came and she was fantastic and she took some stunning photos of Eliza and um, some amazing keepsakes that we have for her as well so we're really pleased and now those photos are like my most prized possession and I have them in my lounge I have them as like a screensaver on my phone we post them on the internet so we're happy for people to see them. So it's really crazy, like I said, how you just change and your perspective on things change as you're going through things. So, and yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I completely agree. Because I, I mean, I just think, I mean, we did actually take, because I'd done all my Googling, my research. <laughs> so we did actually take a camera in with us, but I felt, I don't know, I felt too awkward maybe to ask anyone to take photos of us and because of the way that Sky looked I was like I'm not yeah. sure I want photos of her um and the the bereavement with wife did take some photos but they were terrible um and, and I really regret that now like not you know looking back now I really wish that you know I had had someone take photos of us that we didn't have a kind of service where photographers came in or at least it wasn't something an option that we were offered um but yeah it, it, even just to have one like family photo of the three of us would have been 
yeah would have been really special and I think that's something that's really hard when you're in that moment and I guess that's where having a really good midwife or having that support makes such a difference to have someone to kind of gently nudge you in that direction and I guess give you permission to almost do these things and say actually you know a lot of parents do find this helpful afterwards because you don't know what you want in that situation yeah and I always like um think it's so good to even go back and I'm sure being a midwife in that situation is so difficult so hats off to anyone that does that but if they can I just think you need to ask bereaved parents several times so ask them a question and if they say no go back in two hours and ask them the same question because that's my only thing like we have regrets you have regrets I have regrets and um at the time you're just not knowledgeable enough in that area to make that decision instantly so you do need somebody that has experienced it from the other side like a delivering or however um or taking care of that mum and dad to say exactly what you've just said like Mm -hmm. this has been really helpful for other parents I really think it would be helpful if we took some photos or my thing with Eliza is no one suggested that we bath her so I've never bathed her and I've never seen her naked I I remember my aunt came in and my aunt was like oh I want to see her like my family was really good my aunt was like oh I want to see her feet and started unwrapping the towel like we still kept the towel on her she had a lovely lavender blanket and then like a towel over her as well and I was like oh, oh I don't know if you're allowed to unwrap you know I'm the parent and I'm scared like I don't even know if you're allowed to unwrap her because she's not alive like surely there's a different set of rules for a dead baby versus a live baby and again like you said it's my first baby I'm just absolutely clueless and my aunt unwrapped her and got her foot out but like I never saw her naked I never saw her bottom I never um I would I wish a midwife would have said you know, her skin's a little bit, um, it's coming up a little bit, but we can give her a little bath and I'll help you with that if you'd like. Like it might be a nice bonding experience. I would have said yes, or I imagine I would have said yes. But yeah, I do think midwives need to come back with the same question. If don't, if they, if a parent says no, don't take it as a definite no, come back. And if they still say no, that's fine. But mm. I think ask it a few times. Yeah. And you mentioned that your parents um, live in the States. Had they, or they planning to come over for Eliza's birth? Um, did you see them? Did they meet Eliza? And also, how did that distance affect your grief over the subsequent weeks and months and also their grief at losing their granddaughter? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um So the whole, the plan the entire time was I was going to see my dad when we, we were supposed to go to the States for the summer. I'm a teacher, like I said. Um, So I have the six weeks off and I was going to go over for about a month and then my husband was going to come over for two of those weeks. So I was always going to see my dad and my sisters at that time and my stepdad and my mom was going to fly over. As soon as the baby was born, she was going to book her ticket and get like the closest flight she could. So she spent more time when the baby was here with us. And gave Liam and I a couple of days on our own, just like the three of us. Um, But then obviously everything went pear-shaped. So um, she still got a ticket as soon as she could. So Eliza was born on the Saturday and she she flew out on the Thursday, landed on the Friday and was in Kingsland like as quick as she could. And then um, my stepdad, who wasn't initially coming over, he flew over a couple days later just to give support to Liam. He thought that was really important that he was there for both of us, but he knew my mom was going to be with me a lot. So he wanted to be with Liam as well and offer his support. So we had 
them come over for those few weeks. And then obviously we had months and months and months until it was summer. And then I flew over and Liam did as well. And that was a whole nother issue of grief because we kind of felt like in England, we had gotten to a point where we were still missing her every day. But um, we had come leaps and bounds, I guess, with our grief from the initial, um, Eliza's initial stillbirth. But then going back to the States brought up a whole nother a whole nother lot of grief because I was going back to my home country. I was going back to see so many friends and family that I was super close to and supposed to be bringing my, my first child, my love with me. And, um, that was incredibly hard. Um, and I think you mentioned that you also suffered another significant bereavement shortly after Eliza's death. Could you tell us a bit about that? Yes. So um, about a week and a half, two weeks before Eliza was born, my husband's mum, my mother-in-law, she had a silent heart attack. So she has had diabetes and she had come to our house for a takeaway. And um, the next day felt really bad pains. Like she said it was the worst indigestion she had ever felt in her life. It ended up that she had had a silent heart attack. And we didn't find out. That was the Saturday that she said that. And then she didn't go to the hospital until the Wednesday. So lots of damage was made on her heart in the meantime. And um, it was very touch and go, touch and go. But it was positive. When we had Eliza, she was in a more positive place. And they were thinking that with some surgery, she'd be fine. So we were making trips to another hospital, not our local hospital. We had to go to one of the bigger hospitals in one of the near cities. And we were driving like over an hour from our house to go and see her. And um, this is after Eliza died. So we were worried as well. She was still alive at this point, telling her that her granddaughter had died. So I went with Liam and he went in on his own to tell her because I just couldn't do it. But then I came in shortly after and she knew when he came in without me, she was like, where's the baby? What's going on? And so she took the news really well, but obviously was devastated, but her heart was okay. Cause we were worried. We were like, if we tell her and she has another heart attack, what's going to happen? You know, we're worried then about her health as well, but she physically handled the news well. And then a week and a half later, um, she had another heart attack and died. They did tell us that if she had another heart attack, that would be it. Mm-hmm. But, um, because she had been doing so well physically and they were able to fit some valves in, some stints, sorry, into her um, arteries and valves. Um, she was improving, but she had a heart attack and then she died as well, which um, at the time I just, I didn't have the brain space to comprehend any of that. I was so consumed with Eliza's death. I still even like months later felt like Penny hadn't died. That was my mother-in-law's name. I just felt like she hadn't died. She was still going to, come over because my brain couldn't register that she had died as well as Eliza and then my poor husband I just don't even know how how he got through you know those months in the next year Mm, and that gosh I just don't even know where to start with that because you know it's one thing you're losing your child and then you know losing you know your mother at the pretty much at the same time um and all of that grief being sort of piled on top of each other um, as well as, you know, the, the kind of practical aspects when, you know, when an adult dies and all the things that, that kind of follow that. Um, 
yeah in ter- in terms of wills and sorting out states and and all Absolutely. that type of thing and and having to kind of process that and and come to terms with that it was um really strange because um actually like eliza died penny died and then they that was both in the february and then in the march they both had funerals and they ended up having funerals like at the same had the same organizers as eliza's funeral it's just weird it just felt like everything was very deja vu like you sorted something for Eliza and then we had to sort mm-hmm. something for Penny. You did orders of services for one and then you had to do the other. And and they wanted us involved, obviously, because they wanted Liam's stepdad wanted his opinion being her child on the funeral. It was just you had to be involved. There wasn't a choice to be out of it or not. Mm, yeah and I had my grandmother passed away a couple of weeks after Skye and her funeral was the week after Skye's funeral um, and obviously you know a complete different situation you know she was very elderly we were kind of you know it was quite expected and there wasn't such a close relationship but that was still really hard it feels Absolutely. like you're going to funeral yeah. central yes, exactly. <laughs> you're just waiting for the next one to hit yeah. <laughs> um, so how did you cope with your grief and when did you decide to share your story Um, We were pretty open from the start that we, I think some of it's down to personality. I'm like, wear my heart on my sleeve type of person. So we were very vocal, you know, before we had her. Between the time of being sent home from hospital and then going back to hospital to deliver her, we had told all of our friends and family. We just text everybody. I told my work, like I'm really close to my friends at work, my colleagues at work. I teach at um, like a religious school in the area. So they um, were all praying for us and and sending love and everything but we just basically told everybody everybody knew and then my husband put it on social media that night that she had been born but unfortunately she was still born so our story was out there right away and then um after her funeral we went away for one night um my mom thought it would be nice for us to go on holiday or to have a weekend away and we managed one night away we just didn't want to be anywhere other than home um And whilst we were away, we signed up for our local 10K run and we decided that we were going to have Team Eliza and we were going to run and raise money for Teresa's Tiny Treasures who provided us all the keepsakes. So that was the first um, way that we kind of like challenged our grief into something positive. And we've ran that every year since. Even last year with the pandemic, there wasn't the race, but we still had, I don't know how many, over 50 people be involved in walking or running on the day of what should have been our local 10k run in their pink team eliza t-shirts mm-hmm. so that's really lovely it's all over my instagram like all the photos of them i made some collages and stuff um so we've been supporting Teresa's tiny treasures for those years and raising money and we channeled our grief you know I was, i'm that type of person i didn't stay in the house i needed to get out so like every day i was out of the house whether it was just going to tesco's to pick something up or nipping into Starbucks to get a takeaway coffee and I was telling everyone like probably people that didn't need to know my daughter had died I was just like telling everybody that they that she died and luckily I had a really really good response like people were just devastated um our local community people that were friends of friends um were really touched by Eliza's death and reached out to us we really were surrounded by everybody our local butcher sent us flowers like it was just crazy so um, we just flung ourselves into really positive stuff. Um, I joined some local bereavement groups for baby loss and um, I found myself the most comfortable with other people that experienced what I had and had the same pain that I had as well. 
And also within the first year, Liam and I um, ran a half marathon and raised money for Tommy's. And then also we set up a screening of the film Still Loved. I wanted to see it. It was at several cinemas, but nothing in our local area. So I contacted them and they sent me a DVD and then they gifted us the license for free. And we opened up the event and it was free for everybody to attend as well. But we um, then invited like Teresa's Tiny Treasures and the local Sands group. And we invited the um, funeral director that <laughs> led Eliza's funeral to come along to um, learn more, the local chaplains. And we kind of set them all up on tables around the outside, did the film screening. And then after people could mingle and ask questions and donate and this, that, and the other. So that was really good. That's amazing. That's an amazing idea. I've never heard of that being done before. Um, so moving on then, when did you decide that you were ready to try again for a second child? We were ready right away. We probably had had her about an hour in the hospital holding her, just looking at her and saying how in love we were with her. And I thought it and didn't want to say anything because I thought, oh, this is too soon. And then Liam looked at me and said, gosh, we got to have our brother and sister one day. And I was like, oh, I was thinking the same thing. So um, it definitely wasn't to replace her. And I think every bereaved parent understands that. Um, but we were so in love with being parents and being her parents that we just knew we needed another sibling because we wanted to love them twice as much with all the physical love we could have given Eliza as well. So we, um, Eliza was O positive and I'm rhesus negative and she actually died from a fetomaternal hemorrhage, which means she's bled into me and my, as a result of my placenta not functioning properly which there was no way of picking up in a low-risk pregnancy um, because my fundal measurements were all fine. So um, I've had a specialist from Tommy's and my consultant at the hospital say if I had had a scan at the end of term, they would have picked up on restrictive growth, but they didn't. So that's what happened. So we wanted to try right away, but we couldn't. We weren't allowed. So my blood was compromised because she bled into me and me being racist negative. They were able to catch the start of it by giving me NTD within the first um, 24 hours of having her. But I had the biggest bleed the hospital had ever seen. I had 10 vials of NTD given to me within the next week. So they gave it to me, they would do bloods. I'd come back They and they had to give me more and then I had to do more blood. So I had it more given on the um, Tuesday and I had a really bad reaction which required me to go back into hospital for 48 hours. And then I had more on the Friday. And then we had to wait six months for my blood to clear up. So I had blood checks throughout that time. And every time um, it wasn't clear for me to be able to try for a baby again. And then in the September, we had a low enough score that we were able to try for a baby. And that was so exciting. And because we had Eliza so quickly, we obviously were going to have the next one really quickly. And that didn't work at all. So we started in the September of 2018. And then in the summer of 2019, I just knew something wasn't right. And I had been to the, cons sorry, not the consultant, the GP. I had been to the GP several times over just like some random spotting and my period length and this, that and the other just trying to be as proactive as I could because we really wanted this sibling for Eliza. Um, I just knew something wasn't right. So I spoke to a doctor who finally listened and was like, actually, I agree with you. Something isn't quite right. 
So she was like, I think you both need, you and your husband need to be tested. And then we will see if there's any difficulty there. And they discovered that we had fertility issues. We were then referred to the fertility clinic to start IVF. So that was in the summer of 2019. Um, And then we had meetings and different appointments until February of 2020, which is when we started our drug protocol for IVF. Mm-hmm. And how did it feel experiencing fertility issues after you'd conceived Eliza naturally and then subsequently lost her? Yeah, I mean, we were a bit shocked because when, when the GP told us, yeah, we identified fertility issues and you guys will need help to have another baby. I said, well, we fell pregnant with Eliza in two months. She went, but at that time, everything was exactly right. Like it might have just been a fluke, like everything was right. And now things just aren't. And you probably have always had fertility issues. It just happened to be fine. And that really was hard to digest because you think, gosh, if that was our only time of conceiving naturally and then it was snatched away from us so quickly, that is just really bad luck or just something awful that's happened. So, yeah, it was another hurdle. You know, and what we tell people, again, we are quite vocal about things going on in our life. So our friends and family knew we were going to go through IVF and they, we were told them we had fertility issues and things. And, you know, you would laugh as you told them because you just almost didn't believe it. You're just like, yeah, not only was our daughter still born, now we have fertility issues and we're going to have IVF. And did you know IVF doesn't always work? You know, people have to go through IVF loads of times and it might never work. Like it just, our reality seemed insane. Mm-hmm. And did you know much about IVF and sort of the process of fertility treatment before you went into it and how did you find that process both physically and mentally? I didn't know a lot about it. I have a friend who her and her wife both went through IVF. Obviously their situation was different than ours because they were two women and we're um, male and female and you know she shared so I knew a little bit from their journey but you know we actually ended up having ICSI, which is a very specific type of IVF, where they inject the sperm into the egg to create the embryo. Um, so, yeah, I didn't know a lot about IVF, to be fair, but now I feel like I am confident with them um, explaining IVF to other people, and at least our experience with IVF. It was a huge learning curve. So I felt like after Eliza, I learned so much about placentas and stillbirth and things like that, and, you know, facts the Tommy website gives you, and then you know, IVF was a whole new, another battle, whole new world that we were diving into. Mm. And you got pregnant with Liberty. So early in 2020, I guess, just, um, just before, or just as we were starting to go into lockdown and pandemic hit, how was your experience of pregnancy after loss? And how did COVID and the lockdown restrictions affect your experience? You know, there was a, a big blessing with the pandemic in the sense that I could be really, really careful in this pregnancy because my last day at work was the 16th of March. My school was really, really good. They just wanted me working from home. So I say my last day of work. I should say my last day of work in person at school was the 16th of March because I um, had a positive pregnancy test on the 12th of March and my work knew I was pregnant. And then at that point with the knowledge we had from um, the pandemic at that point was pregnant women should be working from home. So I did. And then by the time teachers, pregnant teachers were allowed to go back to work, I was past 30 weeks because we had the six weeks holiday. So I worked from home until I had liberty. Uh, But the one thing, one blessing from that was I could rest because I think I would have found this pregnancy. Not only am I older, 
your body reacts differently, I think, the second time, or at least mine did. I popped. I was like a lot bigger this time, far less energy. And I was able just to work from home and have a little break here and there as I needed it. And um, teaching, you know, you use a lot of energy and you're buzzing around the room and helping this child, helping this child. And yeah, so that was one blessing of the pandemic was I could just take things at my own pace. I still had to complete my work. I still had things to do, but I was able to rest a bit. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting that, isn't it? Because I think we always kind of think about lockdown and the restrictions of the pandemic in a negative light, but actually there there were some positives to come out of it. Yes, definitely. Um, potentially, yeah, yeah. And Liberty's now about three months old, yeah. I think. Yes, she How is. How have you found parenting in general and parenting after loss specifically? Gosh, yeah, parenting after loss is really tricky because you are a parent already, but anything past birth, you have no clue about. <laughs> so I was fine with the pregnancy because I thought I've been here, I've done this, you know, you got this, it's fine. But when she was born, it's like, what do I do with her? What? Oh, it's really tricky. But um, yeah, so lovely. The tricky moments are far less than like the beautiful moments with Liberty. And, you know, once you think you know what you're doing, you don't. So if you just stick with the plan, I don't know what I'm doing at all and just keep going you it's all right it's fine the grief aspect is really tricky because um I was fine in hospital we stayed in hospital for a week um after Liberty was born and we came home on the Friday and I just cried when we went into our bedroom because I just missed Eliza like she should be here and she should be a big sister a physical big sister and I should know what I'm doing because I should have already brought her home and it just found it overwhelming. It happened each, like for the first few nights we were home at night when I went to bed in our bedroom, I just cried because I missed her so much. And that's continued really. You know, most days I'm fine. I feel like we carry, we've learned to carry our grief on a day-to-day basis quite well. And we still acknowledge her. And again, like I said, she's all over our house and um, our family and friends talk about her quite freely but it's just everything we do with liberty. I'm like, oh, I should know what I'm doing or I should have already experienced this before. And what was really hard was her birthday that she had. We celebrated Eliza's third birthday birthday yesterday. And just the reality that everything between the girls will always be different. Like as much as I want everything to be fair between them, it won't be. And that's really hard because we will do things for Eliza that we won't do for Liberty. And equally, we'll do things for Liberty that we don't do for Eliza. We can't because she's not here physically. So that's like an ongoing battle, I think, and probably will yeah, go on for quite a long time. Yeah. And I think, you know, I think as well as the whole grief aspect, you have all those kind of hormones, don't you? Like particularly just after the birth kind of going around and you have the the weepy hormones. Mm -hmm. and, And I know sort of after I had rare, I think it was... A week or two after I had Rowan was Baby Loss Awareness Week as well. And then that just kind of floored me. Absolutely, that word. You know, and that that coincided with the kind of my weepy hormone stage when I had my weepy hormones. And yeah, I found that that really tough. So I think you're, you're kind of, and obviously you're hit by having a new yes. baby and not sleeping at all. And all those things kind of, yeah, can, can feel a little bit, a little bit overwhelming. But I do think over time you kind of, yeah, it kind of calms down a little bit and, and yeah, you get into that, well, you get into the routine of living and the routine of kind of maybe understanding, I guess, what specific mm-hmm. things trigger grief and how you want to respond to that. 
when I was looking through your Instagram account preparing this interview, um, I was looking through what you did in terms of Advent to Remember. So I wanted to ask you about how you include Eliza in your family and how you're preparing, uh, planning to do so and sharing her story with Liberty as Liberty grows up. And specifically, one of the things which caught my attention was Eliza's Advent calendar. So I wonder if you could tell us a bit about Eliza's Advent calendar, because I thought it was a really lovely idea, and also what you've been doing or what you plan to do as Liberty grows up to talk to her about her sister. Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, um, so we got the Advent to Remember idea from Legacy of um, Leo with Jess, and um, a lot of the ideas like I've taken from things I've seen other parents do on Instagram for their bereaved child. And um, we've enjoyed doing it so much. Like I've sent Jess messages before just saying how wonderful it is um, for her to have created such a beautiful thing. Just, you know, the random acts of kindness and just doing your every, not your everyday thing, but like your yearly Christmas traditions, but including your child in it, that your child that isn't here, it's so lovely. With Liberty, we just plan on, it's really hard because I want it, I don't, I want Eliza to be very much like loved in her big sister, but I, it is finding that balance, isn't it? Like, I don't want it to become, oh, I don't want to say an issue or like, I don't know if I'm going to word this right, but it, it's a balance. I want, I want it to be really healthy and um, for her to be able to acknowledge that her sister's not here, but not to be an all consuming thing for us as a family. So I just want Eliza to be woven into our family, like beautifully in a blanket. Um, we started reading stories to Eliza um to Liberty already and talking to her about Eliza so we've started that now that just is natural language for us as a family my husband as well we sit um every night and have a story together even though Liberty's only three months old and I think we do it more for um Liam and I we really like family story time <laughs> we take turns reading the book and holding her and we um like the precious little people by Frankie she um we read that book already and we you know, she's written this beautiful book explaining about um, Eliza being one of these babies that was taken too soon and linking them to the stars and things like that. And that's beautiful. So we already read that to her. And also um, Robo Babies, which is about being an IVF baby. So again, like not only do we want Eliza to be a really important factor of Liberty's life, we're not going to shy away from Liberty being an IVF baby and that she was made in a very special way. And also that lots of babies are made in different ways because we have friends that are twins and friends that have had donor sperm and that kind of thing as well. So I think stories are a really nice way to include siblings um, into Liberty's life. And the advent to, to remember, though, is just brilliant. And we've had other people join in as well. So um, it was really sweet. We posted about using... Um, like a Starbucks gift card and leaving it for the barista to gift during the day. And we got that from Ruth, who is um, Dexter's mum. Yeah, Ruth, <laughs> her husband, Dexter's dad, he put that on there, on theirs one day because I had this really embarrassing moment the year before, which was the first year we did Advent to remember, where I tried to pay for the coffee in front of me. And I don't mean this to sound rude or stereotypical or anything because I am half English. My mum's English, my family on my mum's side's all English. 
But the guy in front of me was so typically English and would not accept this coffee from this like crazy American girl. I was like, oh, can I write your coffee for you? And obviously he didn't know the meaning behind it. But obviously inside I'm thinking it's for my daughter who's not here. And, oh. and he was just like, no. And I was like, okay, this isn't awkward at all. And then I had to wait for them to make his drink. Like it wasn't like he then walked away. I still was stood behind him whilst he had no. said no. So anyway, Dexter's dad had put that he left a gift card. So we did that. And then we did that again this year. And Kat Strawbridge from the trying years, she saw that we did that. And then she gifted one as well. And I think she lives outside London. So she gifted one for Eliza to a random person. So we thought that was really sweet. That's, yeah, that's amazing. And I have to say, that's a really good idea because I have actually shied away from doing that style of random act of kindness mm-hmm. because of exactly that reason. Because as soon as I think about it, I'm like, this is going to land me in an embarrassing situation and I hate being in, uh, being yeah. embarrassed and in that situation. So I've shied away from it. But I think that's a really lovely way to do it and kind of avoid that. Yeah, avoid that whole kind of possible situation. Definitely. <laughs> It was a good idea. And I think, yeah, and I think with um, with Eliza's advent calendar, you've got little candles in it, don't you? So you light candles for her? Yes, yeah. So my aunt, did, actually, that didn't even come from us, actually. That came from my aunt. My aunt had made mm-hmm. um, all, like, the younger children fabric advent calendars and with pockets in them. And then because Liberty is a baby and wouldn't eat sweets, she filled ours with candles so we linked it to Eliza and Liberty from that. Uh-huh. And then actually we did have a couple of friends message and say they're going to do that next year because, you know, in our community, a big thing that you do is light candles for your baby or for friends' babies on birthdays. You know, that's really common and a lovely gesture. So this is the same idea leading up to Christmas. You just get a whole bunch of tea lights from whatever the shop you want, you're at fill it into these fabric calendars or like a wooden calendar that has loads of drawers, just put candles in instead of sweets. And then if you do have children, they can get the candle out and get the candle out for their brother or sister and the mummy and daddy can light it. Or if it's like the years we've had up until now where it's just been Liam and I, we would have loved to do that, like get a candle out each night and light it for Eliza. It's really special. Mm, oh, I didn't realise it was Liberty's advent calendar, but I love the idea anyway. So I think. Well, it was given. It was given to Liberty. I, we probably didn't make it clear because we just automatically made it about Eliza and Liberty rather than just Liberty. But I think it was gifted to us for Liberty, but we turned it into both of the girls because that's just how we. We just. It's really hard. If we can, we need to include both of them. Yesterday, I said to Liam, I do understand it won't happen all the time. And I, it hit me about how every prep person that buys a present and card for Liberty on her first birthday will not have bought one for Eliza. And I just have to accept that because I can't be in charge of what other people do. But yesterday hit me really hard that their life is going to be very, mm-hmm. it, it won't be equal. Yeah. Um, so any way that we can make their lives equal is really important to us. Yeah. Well, fantastic. We are about out of time. Um, But thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story and Eliza's story. Would you like to finish by telling people where they can find and connect with you online? Yeah. So on Instagram and on Facebook, we are our little snowdrop. Brilliant. And I'll include links to both of those in the show notes. Thank you so much, Sarah. I really appreciate you coming on to the show. Thank you. It's been lovely chatting. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode of Footprints on Our Hearts. 
Please help me break the silence around baby loss by sharing the podcast with your friends and leaving a review on iTunes. You can follow me on Instagram at Footprints on Our Hearts and Twitter at Sky's Footprints. For detailed show notes and to support the podcast and help me raise money for Tommies, please visit our website, footprintsonourhearts.com. <laughs>